If you enjoyed podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Beyond the Paper Gown, hosted by Dr. Mitzi Krakover, helps people think critically about women's health issues, encouraging them to question and explore the complexities of healthcare systems, scientific advancements, and societal norms. There's a really cool episode that you should check out called Midday Menopause App. And that's about how AI and sensor technology can provide personalized interventions to manage menopause symptoms effectively. Check out Beyond the Paper Gown on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to Iowa to Health. I'm Jeremy Quinby. This is episode 107 of the podcast. If you're a new listener, I want to welcome you. Iowa to Health is your place for trusted health guidance and resource. Whether you're looking to improve your health or just seeking ways to stay well, we're here for you. This growing community is on a mission to improve our state of being and experience together on the planet. So I did a little digging into the metrics of the podcast this past week just for fun. And I was surprised to find that 16% of you are listening from Europe. Thank you for tuning in. So happy to have you in on the conversation. Uh, I'd love to hear from you and learn more about uh, what brought you to these subjects and if there's anything else you're interested in having covered here on the podcast. You should know that I have plans in the works for this next year to start hosting some live events and panel discussions, which will hopefully create some opportunities for us all to connect. So stay tuned. My focus for the past five years of this project has been to find thought leaders whose aim is to improve health outcomes. And my guest for today, Dr. Sanjay Prasad, is yet another pioneer seeking ways to improve our system of surgical care. Concierge medicine has been limited for the most part to individuals who can afford the high annual costs and have access to the best in care. But the pandemic has opened up some doors to care that now can't be closed. Things like telemedicine, non-surgical options, and more holistic options that will likely become a bigger part of the health landscape from here on. As Sanjay explains, our system is broken, and while the pandemic has been incredibly difficult for all of us, especially care providers, it's a real opportunity to reset how care is delivered. The possibilities that he shows us here uh, really give us a lot of hope, I believe, and I'm excited to have this conversation with him. Please enjoy my talk with Dr. Sanjay Prasad. The one thing that really pulled me into to your book from the start was in, in the intro, just kind of talking about, you know, what's happening through through this time period with the pandemic and how this almost natural reset is is bound to happen, but also the problems that are happening in elective surgery. So I'm, I'm curious to hear what your experience has been like, you know, just from just from the start um, through through this time period and how your practice is changing. You know, when my practice was shut down. Um, you know, a lot of horrible things happen with the coronavirus pandemic. We all know that, yeah. uh, you know, with, with, you know, jillions of families throughout the world. Uh, and I, and I was a victim to that as well. Uh, and, you know, but what some of the things that came out of it were, you know, we paused, uh, surgical scheduling, um, elective surgeries, non-urgent surgeries were put on pause in 2020, uh, patients were very fearful of, of leaving their home, yeah. um, uh, let alone, you know, entering a, a hospital setting where they're taking care of coronavirus, uh, you know, uh, infected patients. Uh, there's a lot of fear. Uh, 
you know, there were a lot of things that happened also with delays in diagnosis. We'll learn about that in the future. Uh, but there's delayed breast biopsies, colonoscopies, right. uh, you know, all sorts of things happened. Uh, but as we, with the with the masking, the social distancing, the mass vaccinations, uh, although there is still Delta virus variants that are out there, uh, we're starting to get back into some degree of normalcy um, where patients are starting to reconsider having surgeries at uh, surgery centers or hospital settings. Yeah. Uh, but it's a great time. It's a terrific time right now to reset healthcare as we know it today. Yeah. Uh, for patients to actually pause uh, when they're told they need surgery um, and ask intelligent questions of their doctor. Uh, do I really need this surgery? Uh, are there alternatives to surgery? Um, uh, how, many do- how many of these procedures have you done, doctor? Yeah. What's your success rate? What's your complication rate? Uh, and they need to have a whole information system that allows them to understand some of these measures um, and compare one doctor against another and pick the right surgeon in their Blue Cross network or Cigna network, or yeah. United Healthcare network. Um, it just makes so much sense to us, yeah. right? Uh, to get the surgery done the right way the first time when you need it. Um, and not to have revision surgery, right? right, right so right. that's that's where it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and I mean, I've kind of built a career, uh, you know, oddly enough, out of kind of be, being another channel when someone's not sure they they want to go through an elective surgery or not sure that it's that that the evidence is clear enough yet that they need to have a surgery. And you know, as you said in in your book, you can probably thirty percent of surgeries that that go on. We're, we're not necessary, but that that being said, there's also a lot of surgeries going on, and I happen to have two people in my family who went through a hospitalization during during the pandemic for other other things. So so we know what happens when when that kind of stuff gets delayed, and and but but I think what what you're really starting to you know push into is how do we what's the what's the mechanism for for referrals and. How can we how can we improve the the referrals and the you know the the ident- the identification of what it is that we actually want to do with surgery or is there another option first and and so I'm, I'm curious to see how how this kind of came about for you in terms of your practice and how and you know obviously what what you're developing yeah so the whole idea you know started I mean I became a surgeon. Uh, you know, in the Washington, D.C. area, practicing for 30 years, okay. helped tens of thousands of patients, but now we're helping, hopefully helping millions of, uh, of, of patients connect with the right surgeon. What's your, what's your so, specialty? So my specialty is neurotology. I'm uh, board certified in otolaryngology, oh, yeah. ENT. Um, and then I did three fellowships in head and neck uh, oncologic surgery, skull-based surgery, and neurotology, okay. cochlear implants, acoustic tumors. It may not mean yeah. much to you. If you no, have I, that because I work around the cranium, I, it's, it's, all, it's all, all that I know. Yeah, so I, I started that practice in 1992 uh, and practiced for a long time. Started a surgery center in 07, started bundling some of the prices for, for surgical procedures, combining surgeon fee, anesthesia fee, facility fee, low uh, to, to a, a low cost, one one low cost uh, for a bundled uh, surgical option uh, was very receptive. And uh, and then we started thinking about adding quality uh, to the mix. Yeah. Uh, can we get procedure specific um, quality data from surgeons? 
It would be terrific if patients could pick their surgeon based on cost, but and also more importantly on the surgeon's outcomes. So that's what yeah. that's where that's where this whole impetus, this whole movement started. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, what I was kind of looking into with with my work, I I was doing work between Minneapolis, where my home base is now, and and Brooklyn, New York, because I, I had had a practice there for thirteen years. So, uh, in the in the transition, I was kind of going back and forth a lot and starting to realize how much time I was spending with these referrals and trying to find some better ways to to do these referrals or see if there was some way to sort of coordinate care with different people that I was working with because it's just. It, it's it's changing a little bit, and, and you know telemedicine has certainly opened up during the pandemic, but there's still a lot of a lot of challenges with how do you how do you communicate with one another, how do you make sure that everybody's on the same page in that communication, especially if it's like working with an, an older an elderly parent where the adult child is trying to get information, you know, and, and all those kinds of things. So, but but then the the other part of it is you know. I, I, I talked to somebody who had started a, a, a real estate listserv because they basically do the same thing through through real estate, except for that's an old mechanism that's been built in and there's percentages based, you know, mixed into the equation when you do referrals. That shouldn't happen in medicine, obviously. <laughs> that would be the, the, the wrong incentive. But, but there was something about the way that that system worked that I thought, you know, we, we we often will go to our you know friends and family looking for referrals, but that's not necessarily going to be the best care provider for us, you know. And I started realizing that the the best referrals were happening within the the network of the people who this person had already chosen as care providers. So being able to kind of reach out to them and see if you know if it's, let's say it's an ENT issue or something, and I'm trying to find someone for them, what you know what what do we find within their within that network that they've already created for themselves for their own health care team. So that was that was my my interest and it sounds like you're kind of in the in the same realm if I'm not mistaken. Well yeah, um, you know we call our platform surge equality and uh, w- the platform works uh, with a personalized concierge service. So you're told you need surgery, go see an orthopedist, uh, you've got you know rotator cuff tear on an MRI scan. Um, uh, you know, in the pre-authorization process, our concierge reaches out to you. With your permission, we source the medical records, the imaging. Yeah. We send it up to the cloud, and we send it to multiple surgeons in your network, uh, within your Blue Cross network, uh, uh, and they validate necessity, offer treatment options, and put in their past experience. But what you just uh, what you just talked to me about is very interesting because we're talking about multi-specialty opinionating. So yeah. what we're talking about is sending these cases not only to the specialty that the uh, patient saw, the, the, special, uh, the surgeon specialty that they saw, but we're also talking about connecting these cases to other practitioners with a common area of interest. Yeah. So whether it's shoulder injuries, so we would connect to physiatrists and physical therapists and also get their opinions. Patients would get back opinions, not only from orthopedic surgeons, right. but also from other specialties. So it, it makes a ton of sense. It yeah. really does. I mean, my, my thought being that what's what's the common thread is this patient or client that that is already being cared for by these people, right? And, and they want to see them stay healthy. <laughs> they they want to yeah, ha- have success working with them too. So you know, to, to be able to do that, it's just a time consuming process. So 
I'm, I'm, I'm just curious how, how you've coordinated this now in terms of what, what your process is when someone comes, you know, it, is looking for a surgeon. Because is, is that what, you, if I understand, is that what you're trying to build now is kind of like somebody comes with a, with a, you know, a specific challenge or maybe they've already been through, you know, scans or whatever. They know that the, that surgery is potentially on the table, but th- then they're trying to look for, you know, the, how to, how to understand what the cost of this is, right. For the procedure and, and, and even just what, you know, what, what the process is going to be like, you know, from, from beginning to end. So uh, remember that this is not a business to consumer uh, proposition. This okay. is a business to business proposition. Okay. So we're going to self-insured employers, Jeremy. I gotcha. Uh, we've captured large employee uh, audiences, uh, and we're talking to Fortune 50 companies that okay. you know have half a million lives, or you know, or or, or you know, somewhere over and greater than 100,000 employees. Uh, you know, lots of surgeries, thousands of surgeries coming through. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's what's going to get provider engagement. That's what's going to get um, uh, orthopedic surgeons and surgery centers and hospitals excited about being on the platform. Uh, and uh, again, you know, it's our concierge service that's integrated into the pre-authorization process for the surgery. Um, and we source your medical records and send it to multiple surgeons and other practitioners uh, for review. Okay. And, uh, you know, I think there's going to come a time where this is going to be the standard of care, yeah. where all surgeries are peer reviewed uh, for the protection of the patient, for sure, but also for the uh, fiduciary protection of the employer health plan mm-hmm. uh, and for the protection of the surgeon uh, and the surgery center and the hospital. Yeah. Um, it's just going to make a ton of sense in terms of reducing risk. Yeah, that makes sense. So the patient works for a company and is looking for for a provider. How does this work for their insurers? Yeah, so the Fortune 50 companies already have a, a national um, insurance network. They already okay. have uh, one of the BUCAs, the you know, what is Blue Cross United Signa Retina. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, so they already have their network. Okay. And what we're doing is when their employees see a primary care physician, are referred to a surgeon for 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 surgery, on uh, recommended surgery. Um, then in the pre-authorization process for that surgery, that's how we get uh, connected. Okay. And our concierge then handholds them. All they have to do is sign a HIPAA release okay. uh, on their end, and all the magic happens on the back end with uh, distribution of their medical records in a HIPAA-compliant manner uh, to multiple surgeons, surgery centers, and hospitals, validation of necessity, multiple opinions. And the patients get back a list of surgeons, from the comfort of their home, yeah. uh, they can review their opinions um, and they can look at their quality measures uh, and they can see alternative treatments, uh, as you mentioned, uh, for example, physical therapy or physiatry. Yeah. Um, and they may pick those uh, conservative options over the, the more radical options. Uh, we leave the choice up to the patient, though. Okay. It's really important. Yeah, yeah. So can you explain the coordination once they're within your concierge service. How is price verified? How can you help improve outcomes and simplify the process? Well, the pricing is all set, right? Okay. They have a network of uh, surgeons. They have uh, a whole network. They have contracted pricing with their surgeons and surgery centers and hospitals. In, in those situations with the Fortune 50 companies, it's pretty much set. They're okay. looking to connect their employees to best-in-class surgeons in their in their entire Blue Cross network, for example. Yeah. Um, and you know the plight is even uh, is even more jaw dropping for minorities uh, right, because right. the racial disparities in surgical outcomes is 
is uh, just unbelievable and jaw-dropping. We know black patients have uh, poorer surgical outcomes uh, than white patients across an array of surgeries. Yeah. And it doesn't, you know, even when you control for comorbidities and, um, uh, you know, extent of disease and for socioeconomic status, these disparities persist. Yeah. So what we're trying to do, and the reason why black patients don't have better surgical outcomes is because they're getting referred to low quality, low, low volume surgeons. And so now we're taking the system, we're taking their records, anonymizing their demographic data and sending it to all the surgeons in their Blue Cross network in the state, for example. Yeah. Uh, and now they're getting connected to the best aortic valve surgeon or the best uh, shoulder surgeon, the be best Macy, maybe MICI, MACI procedure that they have for their knee, yeah. which I just learned about. And, you know, that's such a rare procedure, but there are surgeons who specialize in that. Yeah. Uh, and then we want the, to get them the best outcomes. It just makes so much sense. Yeah. And I could tell just from reading your book that you're a data guy, <laughs> that, you know, a lot of this was about, you know, as you were saying, you know, we... We, we, we think of some of these bigger institutions as being these, you know, big healing meccas, but really that's not what's, you know, when, when we're looking for, for data, we want to look at outcomes and, and you can also break this down in all sorts of different demographics, I imagine, so that you, so that you can sort of understand, you know, who's, who's doing the best work with what specific condition with which populations and that kind of thing too, right? It's extremely important. So, um, you know, and, um, you know, when you look at, what hospitals are doing, and they're doing a great job, but the data that they're reporting, Jeremy, is aggregated outcomes. So they're, for example, they're reporting uh, orthopedic departments are reporting all of their numbers, they're reporting success and complication yeah. measures. Yeah. I think that's great, but when you're a patient, you know, it's really the surgeon who's operating on it's you. It's a one-on-one, -on -one. yeah. Really, yeah, you really need to have surgeon-specific procedure specific quality outcomes measures and be able to compare one surgeon with another, apples to apples, oranges to oranges. Uh, you know, and, and in terms of the education, that's what the concierge is there for, yeah. to explain, for example, what a craniosacral a manipulation is, or, yeah. or to explain what a rotator cuff surgery might involve and the complications involved. Yeah. So we're all here to elevate the healthcare IQ of the consumer, get them smart, intelligent information so they make well-informed choices, yeah. and then they own their their decisions. I think that's very important. Yeah, yeah. So, so what what do you think the is in in terms of looking at the future, in terms of the way that you're describing this as resetting? Uh, do you think that this is one of the big resets that could potentially come out of this this time period where people are coming back to care? That this is an opportunity for that. It's a tremendous opportunity to reset the system. You know, prior to the pandemic, patients were just going to surgeons they referred to. Uh, getting unnecessary surgery, uh, getting pigeonholed into a certain a way of treating a certain condition. Uh, but now we're going to open their eyes, make them more aware uh, of all the other alternatives that are out there uh, and uh, the metrics associated with other surgeons and their network that they probably didn't even know about. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. This is, you know, and I can see this becoming really the standard of care. Um, in terms of uh, peer reviewing surgeries before they're performed, yeah. it just makes a ton of sense. And and bef but before this, I mean, I, I've I've worked with other concierge services, 
it, it, it really has been for the wealthy, for the ultra wealthy, actually, mostly, where you have someone sort of handhold you through the process, mm-hmm. get you into doctors that, that are hard to get into, that could be months out to, you know, to get in with. But if, if, if there were, you know, if, if working for a specific company gave you more access to this, that really, that, that increases the, the value with, you know, for, for working for an employer. And some of that stuff had gone away for a while with the way insurance yeah, was. And yeah. that, was, that was why people committed to working for companies for a long time. Absolutely. And, I, I, you know, I, uh, and the concierge is so critical to the success of this platform. Um, and it's all about handholding. It's about compassionate care. Uh, it's about listening to the patient, understanding their situation, their social situation sometimes, so they can, uh, so you can understand why and you know why they make the decisions that they're making. Whether yeah. it's you know you know uh, if you have a single mother who's taking care of two small children, she's very reluctant to have surgery. She doesn't right. know what's going to happen right. with custody of her children. It, these are real issues, and so we're trying to take those into account as well. Yeah. And and how long before this trickles down to people who aren't working for some of the Fortune 50 companies? Well, we're confident that once we uh, get in with the Fortune 50 companies that uh, the public payers, uh, Medicare hopefully will be interested in this, Medicaid will be interested in this uh, platform. Uh, we're really excited about the prospects here uh, to provide this for the masses. Yeah. And and. One of the things that's been a big part of my practice, which is, you know, n- not that everyone who comes to see me is is able to avoid surgery. Sometimes I think I'm sort of preparing them even to have a, a better outcome after surgery, depending on what's going on, if it's a hip or shoulder issue or something. But, um, you know, the, the one thing that I think is, is important that I keep seeing being missed in this process is the educational part of it. And I feel like there's this opportunity in concierge medicine to, you know, really, really understand, help this person understand what the, you know, what the long-term, you know, situation is going to be with, with, you know, whatever their condition is and, and even how to like direct them. You know, that's, that, that's another part of the thing that I'm working with, with a lot of my clientele is trying to help them understand if, you know, we, we, we don't know, you know, if this, if this shoulder is going to heal there, it's on, it's on the fence, whether or not it's a, it's not a full tear, maybe we can, maybe we can rehab it. But either way, doing the work is, is still going to help stabilize the, the shoulder situation, at the same time, we, we we need to know that if if that if that doesn't work out, we need to have we need to have someone in place to to back this up, and so you know one of the things I'm always trying to do is kind of give give people the playing field of of what all the different you know possibilities are, and also just getting back to thinking about you know I th- I think with a lot of people who who you know have have come to see me, surgery might be the best option for them sometimes because if I see them as somebody who's really not willing to do to, <laughs> willing to do the work up front they're probably not going to have a successful outcome. And I think we've kind of gotten used to that in our in our culture of just going to somebody saying, fix it, I don't want to think about it, not realizing that shoulder, reco- you know, shoulder surgery recovery could take about six months, <laughs> right? So that's, yeah, that, that, that it, educational yeah. piece, is, it could be huge. Jeremy, it's so critical, you know, uh, and I think what's really underplayed uh, uh, in, a, in a very big way is the importance of prehabilitation. Yeah. Uh, you know, and you know this better than I do. That's what I call it too. Yeah, prehab is what we yeah, call it. And yeah. it's all about preparing the body to have a surgical event, yeah. you know, and I think that's extremely important, whether it's 
uh, bariatric surgery and, uh, you know, you try nutritional counseling yeah. uh, to reduce weight, to reduce your anesthetic morbidity uh, and mortality rates, yeah. um, you know, whether it's strengthening the knee joint uh, before you have arthroscopy or, uh, you know, an ACL tear or to develop the muscles around that um, to prepare you for a better outcome. And then, of course, the post-op rehab and the, is so critical and giving patients uh, you know, realistic outcomes um, and preparing them well uh, and get them back to the workplace as, as soon as we can. It just makes so much sense. Yeah. So, so what, what kind of, what kind of team have you, have you put together? Can you, can you uh, kind of talk about that as far as, as far as what this surgery quality looks like, you know, sort of on the ground? Yeah, so we're, uh, you know, we do have a COO. We have uh, someone who's uh, really involved with uh, presiding over uh, millions of members in an insurance plan. Uh, we have a, a concierge platform that uh, can be built very quickly to handle a million lives within 120 days. Uh, we have the technology to scale to the whole medical record distribution platform mm -hmm. and the whole data um, outcomes analysis platform uh, that we've built. Uh, and we're really excited about where we are. With your practice, it was was that kind of where you started thinking about how to how to put this together or what was it that sort of got you into the uh, onto the tech side of things? Well, it started really with starting the surgery center in, in 2007. Uh, when we started bundling some of the uh, pricing, then yeah. uh, we got interested in quality and, uh, you know, all surgeons don't have necessarily the best quality. And uh, we wanted to try to get patients connected to the best in class surgeons. Um, and it evolved over time. It started, the movement started in 07. Uh, we are where we are today because of perseverance and uh, yeah. discipline and uh and a team that i've assembled that is world-class yeah yeah and and how and how is it you know in terms of you talked a lot about sort of in incentivization in the book so and in what ways does this does this change you know from the health institution point of view the the, the incentives um, how do you mean that? You, you mean the uh, healthcare institutions? Yeah, yeah. For, for 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 people, you know, from the from the surgeon side of things and from the institutional side of you know care, I I think that's that that seems to be the shift that 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 needs to happen on some level in terms of in terms of making sure that when we're talking about quality, that that that's that that's a change that that goes on. The some I think. A lot of the referrals, sort of in, in institutional care, or, you know, happen because they're trying to sort of hold the money in one place, <laughs> and that doesn't necessarily mean they're they're most concerned about about quality. So I'm just wondering what how how you know you you, you know someone wanting someone seeing what you're what you've developed how how that makes them want to be more in, involved, um, and and what that what their incentive is to to be part of of your network. Well, we're all about the patient. We're patient-centric, and we're not here to help institutions. We're here to help the patient uh, get to and connected to the best-in-class surgeon uh, within their insurance plan. So uh, that's what we're trying to do. And health systems may have these constraints in terms of referrals, uh, but using our platform, the employer, the employees can uh, count on uh, the system working for them, yeah, uh, and that's not something that has been said to them before. Yeah, 
Because I, I don't always think about it in terms of, you know, I think people want to blame the individual doctors, but I think it's it's sort of a top-down issue a, a lot of times where, you know, we, we have somebody who's really trying to do the right thing, but they're also overwhelmed in their practice and they're, you know, they're also getting just cases, you know, pushed pushed their way. And I think most people who get involved in medicine want to have a, you know, have a successful outcome. And from from where you're coming at this, you're an individualized business who wants to see the best possible outcomes for everybody who who goes through your through your platform. So I'm just wondering where where the change can happen. That's that's kind of what I'm getting at, I guess. You know, there's a lot of comfort. You know, when patients start to uh, look at different opinions from different surgeons, and they they kind of own the uh, decision making yeah, in terms yeah. of who Agreed. they're going to go it's to. Very empowering. Yeah. Um, and when owning that decision is uh, is not to be underestimated, because uh, we can't guarantee best outcomes. Well, we can create an environment where they're most apt to get a best outcome. Right, right. Uh, but even if you don't get a great outcome from our service, you'll have the knowledge that hey, I picked the right surgeon, and there were reasons why I picked this surgeon. So um, it, it relieves some anxiety, gets rid of panic attacks. It's, you know, uh, it, it just reduces their blood pressure, and hopefully their outcomes uh, get better. So uh, there's a lot of comfort in knowing, in knowledge. Yeah. And, and, is, and is this for, you know, what, you're, what you've created, is it more for elective surgery, or is there... You know, is is there also a possibility for emergency? I mean, just because most of the time it doesn't matter whether it's elective or emergency, we still want to get to things as as quickly as possible. So, is there yeah, is, so, is that a possibility then? Well, we categorize surgeries in a number of different ways. Uh, we looked at urgent surgeries and non-urgent surgeries right, rather right. than use the term elective. Okay. Because when you think of elective, you think of plastic surgery or okay. aesthetic okay. surgery. So we like to think of urgent surgery, you know, you're bleeding or you have a growing mass in your abdomen or your thyroid. Yeah. It's got to be, you know, or an aneurysm and it's got to mm. be attended to right away. Yeah. Um, you know, that's that's not something that's applicable to the service. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. non-urgent surgeries are 92% of all surgeries that are being performed. Okay. So we're talking a big chunk of, uh, of the surgeries that have time for patients to pause yeah. You know, I know you've been told you need surgery and you're in the yeah. exam room. Don't go running to the um, scheduler's office and schedule the procedure. You know, ask some difficult questions. Do I really need it? Are there alternatives to surgery? Um, you know, what would happen if I don't have the procedure? Uh, and then ask for some, you know, quality information from the surgeon. Uh, and then come back to our service and let us try to connect you with the best in class surgeon. And ultimately you make the decision. If you want to stick with that surgeon, that's all nice and fine. Yeah. Uh, but if you want to reconnect with someone else, it makes a ton of sense to own your decision. Uh, it just makes so much sense. Okay. And do you have any advice for, you know, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure you've, this is a lot of what you've considered is how to choose the the, the proper care provider for yourself. Well, today in today's world, Jeremy, there really is a no mechanism other than word of mouth. Right. So you go to your neighbor, you go to your friends, you find out who's had knee surgery. Uh, you know, I had a I had a, a friend of my my wife's called me the other day. She needed some help finding a, a surgeon to do a Macy procedure. 
uh, MACI. I don't know how much familiar you are, but it's a, it's a cartilage transplant, auto transplantation yeah, yeah. procedure. And, and the kid had had the first stage, needed the second stage done, and she was searching around, calling everywhere, calling all the orthopedists, calling all the, you know, uh, this is nonsense, right? This is absolute nonsense. Technology can uh, can solve the problem very quickly. Yeah. You know, get her records, send them up to the cloud connect her with the best uh, Macy surgeons around uh, and get her connected to the right surgeon for her son. It, it just makes a ton of sense. Yeah. Uh, there's such a thirst and a need for this. Yeah. And that's one of the things I've, I was looking into. I was with, with working with another doctor friend on another health tech project that he was involved in. And a lot of it was about, uh, about really patient relationship and about coordination, because I feel like that is, that, that's where the quality component comes in. Yeah, and the concierge is critical to that. The yeah. concierge coordinates uh, the care. They, they um, schedule the surgery, help you with that, coordinate the prehab, coordinate the post-hab care. It's so critical. Uh, and then until you're back to work. So uh, they're hand-holding you the whole way. So, so how long before you think this is, I know you, you, you said in the book, this, this concierge you know, medicine is kind of in its infancy right now. We're, we're, how long do you think this becomes more a part of mainstream approach? Because I, f I feel like there's a, lot of, there's a lot of different pieces that have been, I've seen coming together over the last 10 years um, in terms of how you, you, know, you, you almost need someone to, to advocate for you in a process and you need someone to be able to sort some of this stuff out, which is what I think technology can do a little bit better. Um, but how, how long before we, we really get through this and start to change this process? Well, I think it's going to start in the next few months and I huh. think it'll continue to accelerate through 22. Uh, I think 23, 24, 25, it'll just continue to accelerate until finally it becomes standard of care, yeah. where uh, peer review will be absolutely required before uh, any non-urgent surgery. I think it's just a matter of time. Do, do, you, do you think that this the pandemic period has has changed what's going what's going to go on in terms of being able to relay information a little bit easier? Because I know HIPAA compliance has been a challenge for a lot of different people. Well, uh, the, the cloud wasn't ready for HIPAA compliance until recently. Yeah. You know, we all know that. Um, look, the COVID pandemic, you know, brought telehealth to light. Yeah. Uh, and now you can have a virtual visit with, with surgeons or uh, physicians anywhere in, in the country uh, or even in the world. Uh, you know, it, 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 patients are getting used to Zoom calls, uh, you know, and having virtual visits and, uh uh, the HIPAA compliance is being is 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 coming to light in the technology world. Uh, we've got all the ingredients for developing a system like surgery quality, yeah. and uh, it it just makes so much sense to get it going. Yeah, and the, the the other component that I feel like you know we could use this telemedicine for obviously in the in, you know when you're first you know going through a process you're going to have to be there in person for a lot of things, but. It's really, I feel like the, some of the follow-up stuff, especially for people who are having to travel long distances to get to a, a decent surgeon, it could could really be one of the better uses of that technology too. And I think that's happening. I think a lot of the academic institutions are doing post-op care through virtual visits. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's happening to some degree, but certainly it's going to continue. Yeah. Well, that's great. Well, thanks so much for spending the time to talk, talking about this. I feel like this is one of those one of those things I want to see move. 
Uh, I mean, just in terms of, I've, I've, I was fortunate enough to have close doctor friends, you know, when my kids were smaller and I, and I was able to do with, deal with so many things with them just through text and <laughs> FaceTime and everything because they were friends. And I, and I, and, you know, it, it being almost seven, eight years later, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at, you know, where, where we've gone in that period of time. And I feel like I can see, I can see that we're on the cusp of this and that, because a lot of, you know, a lot of what, you know, my friend was, was looking at with this too, is who are the care coordinators, you know, in our culture, they're primarily women for the most part. They tend to address more of what's going on with their children, more of what's going on with their, with their aging parents. And really what we're trying to do is find ways to sort of you know, cut out some of the the extra time, you know, expenditure that has to go on, especially with so many women who are also working at the same time. So, you know, that's that's one of the things I can, you know, I'm, I'm looking at what you're doing and I can just sort of see that, you know, where the future can possibly go. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the possibilities are endless. The bottom line is, you know, we want to leave a healthcare system uh, that we can be proud of for the next generation right. uh, because the system we currently have is not working on behalf of the patients. And, you know, there's no reason why it can't get better. Yeah, I agree. Well, thanks so much, Sanjay. I really appreciate it. Great. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Jeremy. Dr. Sanjay Prasad, folks. One of the most exciting possibilities in the concierge approach to care is the potential for educating patients, not only on options for care, but on the basics of self-care, something that I've been developing in my practice since I started my career, after suffering numerous bouts of back pain in my 20s, something that we'll all suffer at some point in our lives, but I found very little good resource to get me out of that pattern. Surgery was offered, but it wasn't clear that it was going to be the best option for me, especially considering the cost. 25 years later, I'm pain-free and was able to avoid surgery and now have a number of self-care strategies that have kept me pain-free. I've developed these protocols of prevention for the back, neck, hip, and other shoulder issues, prehab as we called it here in our conversation. And if we're gonna become healthier, this is the information that I think we should be more privy to. And I see a lot of potential in the way that concierge services like this can improve the quality of care and create better access which could potentially change the healthcare landscape. Check out surgiquality.com if you'd like to learn more about this concierge service and to see what the Surgic Connect platform looks like. Let me know what you thought of this topic in conversation. You can reach out to me anytime through the contact page of our website, highway2.health. That's highwayto.health. And if you'd like to see this project grow, you can become a supporter today for the price of a cup of coffee over at patreon.com forward slash highwaytohealth. Thanks for listening and for all that you do. Be good to yourself, be kind to each other, and take care of your planet. Be well, my friends. If you enjoyed podcasts like this, you should check out our author shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Beyond the Paper Gown, hosted by Dr. Mitzi Krakover, helps people think critically about women's health issues, encouraging them to question and explore the complexities of healthcare systems, scientific advancements, and societal norms. There's a really cool episode that you should check out called Midday Menopause App, and that's about how AI and sensor technology 
can provide personalized interventions to manage menopause symptoms effectively. Check out Beyond the Paper Gown on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com.